0: And uh, just talk to you about that. And look, others who may be not particularly members, but you've been a part of this church, you're very welcome to attend as well. Is that cool? It's probably about 10 minutes after the, minister, um, the uh, time is closed, you can grab a cup of tea, you can come and sit down, we'll be over in this area. Is that cool? So if you can join us, we'd appreciate that. Um, that'd be much appreciated. Hey, all the young people, YP's discipleship class, you're welcome to go now. Steve's ready to go down there. So... Um, He'll, uh, he'll lead you out. Brilliant. Hey, I wanted to uh, just, I was contemplating the realities that Easter is only two weekends away, isn't it? Two weekends away, Easter again. You know, I, I was thinking about Easter and I'm thankful for the weekend of Easter where we do give focus to the, to the reality of what Jesus Christ done for us, his death and his resurrection. But really, we don't need a special weekend to thank him for that, do we? I think every day could be a day where we just are thankful. There's often times you know, in my personal prayer time, I'll just thank him for his benefits. And it's all based around the realities of his death and his resurrection. Thank him that he's redeemed me from the curse of the law. For instance, thank him that, he's, that you know um, the works of the enemy are destroyed because of Christ's death. And res- there's many benefits. But I wanted to read. I, I thought we just would start this month, and I wanted to just talk about Jesus on the cross and some of the things that happened there. So I wanted to turn to Matthew chapter twenty-seven. Uh, it's the very first book of the New Testament, part of the Bible. In verses uh, 35 to 46. You've got your own Bible. Please read along. You might be more familiar with that. It will be there on the screen as I read as well. Um, this is Matthew's account. Remember, we have four accounts of the death and resurrection of Christ. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Great. You're there. Uh, I just didn't forget them. I just wanted to see if you remember them. Um, so Matthew gives this account. Uh, it says in verse 35, Then they crucified him. That is, nailing him to a cross. Okay, And uh, very quickly it goes straight on, as if crucifixion was a common day occurrence. Well, it was, unfortunately, in those days. But they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Uh, verse 36, Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him. In other words, they swore at him, you know, had a go at him, you know, wagging their heads, in other words, you know, uh, just disdaining him. And saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If, you're, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others. He him, him, himself, he cannot save. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Um, who knows, he was not intending to come down from the cross. Because if he, he did come down from the cross, folks, and didn't go through with the crucifixion. We would be of all, would be um, worse off, hey? Uh, and we'll explain why. If Jesus didn't go through for it, it would have been to our detriment. Um, verse 43: "He trusted in God. let him deliver him now if He will save Him. For he said, "I am the Son of God." So they're throwing things back at Jesus about what He said during his time on the earth. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Uh, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, which is midday till about three o'clock in the afternoon, there was darkness all over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, layam shabakithin, that is, my God, my God, why have you what? Why have you forsaken me? Um, Jesus said many things on the cross. Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel um, don't record all the things that Jesus said on the cross, uh, Luke and John record all the things said on the cross. And if you remember some of the things Jesus did say on the cross, he said things like, I thirst, because he was, from a human, human point of view, he was thirsty. Um, we see the course that he says to those who crucified him, hey God, would you forgive them for what they're doing? Um, you'll also see, it recorded in Luke and John's account, that he said to one of the uh, you know, thieves on well, whether it was left or right, I'm not sure. But he said, you know, today you'll be in paradise with me because the thief's heart was, was towards Jesus. Um, so there was many things that these are recorded by Luke and John. But Matthew and Mark record none of these things. But Matthew and Mark record one thing that they, I believe, wanted to emphasize. And that is the only question that Jesus asked on the cross. He asked the question. Uh, And the question was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a question, no doubt directed towards God, but let me say it was a rhetorical question because a rhetorical question is one of those questions where you're not looking for an answer. Have you ever asked a question? You know, and the reason that you ask a rhetorical question is to emphasize a point like, Do dogs bark? Is the rain wet? Um, you know they're kind of rhetorical questions aren't they of course the rain's wet of course dogs bark but it's to it's to emphasize a point or it's to make people think about what you're saying that they will ask those rhetorical questions so we see Jesus asked this rhetorical question and, um, and, he's, and he knows the answer to be honest he knows the answer to the question but the reason that Matthew and Mark put it in there and even more importantly the reason that Christ actually said it and if you look in verse 45 or 46 is it you'll see very clearly that he did it in a loud voice just before this bit he 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 loudly proclaimed my god my god why have you forsaken me so it stands to reason it just wasn't for god is god deaf is his father no but he wanted everybody present to hear this question that he had And not only for everybody present to hear this question, but for everybody down through the annuals of time, right through to today, to be able to see that Jesus asked this question and to emphasize and to make us think and ponder about what he was really saying when he asked that question of his father. Because it wasn't for God just to hear it. It was for us to hear it today and to contemplate. And as Jesus asked the question, so we need to ask a question. Why? Why? Why did he ask such a question? Have you ever stopped to think about why Jesus would um, declare that his father has turned his back on him? Why did Jesus ask this question? Why? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked the question. Number one, I want you to know that Jesus asked this question on the cross to help us understand that he he was the only one who could take away what no one else could take away. I'll say it again, that he was the only one who could take away what no one else could ever take away. And that was our sin. You might say, well, why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, folks, it's very important because throughout history, we've had some great people who have risen up to lead nations, to lead uh, very strategic times. Uh, you could talk about um, you could talk about World War II, and you could talk about what, what did we need in World War II to stop the Germans from not just invading France but invading all of Europe? Well, they did invade most of Europe, and moving across the Channel into Britain. And, and what, what what did we need? We needed a great leader, and Winston Churchill put his hand up, and he was a great leader. Praise God for Winston Churchill. I pray that he knew the Lord before he died. Um, you know, if we needed some medical professional, maybe we could have called upon someone like. Uh, Florence Nightingale, for instance, many many centuries ago who, who of course, uh, was such an inspiration as a nurse in hospitals and things like that maybe maybe if we needed um, if we needed to solve the mathematical theolo- um theories, we needed an einstein didn 't we E equals MC squared, you know, whatever that is. You know, we needed those guys. They stood up. Those ladies and men stood up at, at, at different times. Who remembers the days of James Dobson with all his child-raising um, expert information? Praise God for that guy, the books and the, and, the, and the radio sessions that he has on that. Pray we can glean from that. But folks, if we, that is not the greatest need. As much as I'm thankful for the, the, the Winston Churchills and the Florence Nightingales, I'm thankful that they couldn't take away what Jesus could do. They couldn't give us, those great men and women couldn't do it. There was only one person who was qualified to do, because if we needed a professional, we would have got a professional, but we needed a savior. And we had Jesus, thankfully, he was here. I tell you, the world was lost without him. The world was, and and many are still lost. He was qualified. He identified with humanity, didn't he? He came to earth. He needed, we, we needed someone who was tempted in all areas but didn't sin. That was Jesus. Tick. He ticks that box. We needed someone who was willing. He ticks that box. Jesus was qualified in every way. And we, and, and, and the reality is, is that we have a world uh, that continually, maybe they don't understand this, but we have a world of people who continually look to locate their sin. In other words, to locate the sense of guilt and the sense of shame. We, needed, we need somewhere to locate it. And the world continually tries to locate their sin. You know what uh, we see sometimes, and I encourage us not to do this, but in dealing with sometimes the wrong and the sin of the world, is it okay? You know, sometimes we, 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 we hear the word sin, and, 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 you know, in society, it's not very politically correct to talk about sin. Did you know that? But the reality is it's what it is and it needs to be dealt with. And sometimes what the world does is they relocate their sin and they say, well, it's not my fault. I was born like this or whatever it may be. Sometimes what happens is that we reflect our sin. Well, well, you know, it really wasn't so much me, but it was them who thought up that issue. It's really their problem, and we try to reflect it. Uh, and sometimes we just, uh, we just don't want it around. We want to forget it, and we try to bury it, um, only to find that it raises its ugly head. It's like a festering sore that if it doesn't, if it's not dealt with now, it'll come out sometime in the future. It's like that. It's like that little pimple that grows into a boil. You know, I've had one of those when I was younger. I thought, yeah, I just thought it was a little pimple. I shouldn't have touched it, and you know, it just festers and grows and gets bigger, and it has a yucky core. And I don't know, who's ever had a boil? Just me. <laughs> you know, but it, it sin's like that. We can't bury it. We can't, we can't, you know, I was so aware of this. Um, I saw a beautiful example of this in my precious sister. Not my sister who comes here, so don't, she's not here this morning. But um, not that one. I've got three sisters. um, And my eldest sister, uh, who none of you have met, um, I don't think. um, She, I always remember the situation. She's uh, nearly, she's nearly 10 years older than me. And, uh, and the story goes, as she was growing up, she had a little bit of a wild streak in her and she caused some grief to my mum and dad, particularly my dad. And uh, I'm so proud of this sister and I am so much love her and care for her and spend time with her and see her. And, 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 and there was probably not too many months before my dad passed away, about uh, 13 years ago, and uh, just several months before, see my sister, all her life, she's, she... She hasn't committed her life to Christ yet. And most of her life, because of the wildness of her young days and the grief she called it caused my mum and dad, her sin, she always struggled to locate it somewhere. She didn't know where to put it. It's just been flying around, like guilt and shame in her life for literally decades. And not long before my dad passed away, she finally decided. She didn't understand why she felt the way she felt. And many people in the world don't. They just think, oh, you know. That's why they try to bury it and they try to relocate it and they try to you know, reflect it. But she, at this time, she got a pencil and paper and she wrote a letter to my dad and asked him for forgiveness for all the things that she'd done well, when she was a young girl. And I was just so proud of her to think that she humbled herself and she finally took all that guilt and shame and she located it and she sought forgiveness. And my dad forgave her, and they had a restoration before he passed away. And that was really good. And that's a great thing to do, you know. But you know the greatest thing we could ever do? Is relocate our sin. Just not asking other people forgiveness, but also asking our Heavenly Father. Because He's the one who wants to take our sin. We have a Heavenly Father who has sent His only Son to a cross for the opportunity for us to locate our sin. Not just on other people, but on Him. Located on Him. Um, that's why... Uh, the father turned his back on his son because when God looked at his son, Jesus, he saw the horrific sin of you and me and every other human being on the face of the earth. And when he saw it, he had to turn his back because it was horrific. It looked disgusting. Sin on Jesus. That's not the son he knew, but he knew it was only for a time, but he turned his back. So because he was the lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. So we've got to, you know, today, let me encourage you. If some of that guilt and shame is still flying around, why don't you locate it? Stop it, let it flying around. Because, you know, for my sister, for many years, it caused that, just that personal wounding and that personal hurt in her life. And, and because of that, the way she responded was, was, you know, different things that she would do. I could see she responded out of that hurt. She always tried to love my mom and dad, but it was a struggle until finally... She wrote that letter and asked for forgiveness. And I pray one day she'll seek the forgiveness of her God and come into relationship. And that's been my prayer for a long time. But you know, we've got to locate it. We can't, we can't just, re- sorry, we've got to locate our sin, not relocate it, not reflect it, not, not, not bury it. But I want to tell you, when it says Jesus takes away the sin of the world, sin means here, take away means this to loose, to remove, to put away, to, to acquit, to for, uh, forgive. To pardon, to exonerate, to whitewash, and my favorite, to dissolve. To dissolve. And so it says you can dissolve and you can only dissolve your sin. I want to tell you the concoction that you can dissolve your sin in. In nothing more than the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. There's another word that no one likes to use. The blood of Christ. It's like taking those aspirin clear and putting it in the, a glass of water. And after a while, it's stirred. You, you can't see it. And I tell you, that's what happens with our sin. Put it in the blood of Christ and you don't see it. Gets, it gets taken away. It's absorbed. You know, and, and it's through the heartfelt repentance that we receive forgiveness and mercy and grace from our God. See, in dealing with our sin, um, we can do all the types of things that we want to. But we've just got to, need to accept the offer made by Jesus and receive His forgiveness. He absorbed it on the cross. Do you know what it says in Colossians two fourteen? He cancelled the record of the charges against us, and He took a big old hammer and He nailed them to the cross, and He took them away. He put them there. What a great thing! Now I know a lot of you here this morning know that, but you know what? You know every day. Without allowing condemnation to real our hearts, I think we just need to come before God and humble our hearts and say, you know, Father, is there anything between you and me today? Is there anything that would pollute the water today in our relationship? And I think, you know, as you just contemplate for a moment, you'll see. Oh, yeah, that was that attitude. Or was that thought. Or was that harsh word. I just think it's good to keep a clear channel between us and God. And um, I uh, always remember the story I... I, I know I've told this one, but for the sake of maybe if those who have never heard, I just got it because it's such a great illustration. I was eight years of age and uh, probably about that high. And I was with my mate, my next-door neighbor, and we're sitting on our front footpath. Our footpath was above the road level. It was kind of, we're on a hill and the road was there. And we're sitting there. My friend had this dart gun, plastic dart gun. It shot little darts out with little rubber stoppers on the end that stuck to windows. Do you know the type? You'd wet them with your tongue and, when they just stick there. Pretty harmless. Um, And we're sitting there and a car goes past. I didn't know it at the time, but my friend obviously had a plan and he shot the car with the dart. The dart flew out. And, you know, I think in previous times it's never come near the car, but this one hit right on the windscreen. And so we're sitting there celebrating. Good shot. Wow, that was brilliant. Until the man stopped and reversed his car. We took off into my front yard. We were horrified. We were one moment ex- ex- celebrating, the next moment horrified. This guy's going to chase us down. So we went into the front yard and hid behind a hibiscus tree. You might remember, how do you remember that as an eight-year-old? Because my front yard it was full of hibiscus trees. Mum and Dad loved gardening, so we're hiding behind a hibiscus tree. He's now got out of his car. He's coming through the front near the driveway And my dad just happens to be coming down the driveway, going to the mailbox. So this situation is going from bad to worse. My dad's going to find out. So we're hiding. And as he goes past us, he looks at us with a confused face. He's like, what what are you guys doing? And then he faces this man. Now, I did not. He's confronted with this gentleman who obviously had questions. Would you agree? I, I, I never heard the conversation. My dad never told me the conversation. But I I gathered that he had to answer some questions like, what are your sons doing? They did this to my car, blah, blah, blah. I'm a little bit angry about that. And my dad had to maybe calm him down and say, it's all good. And as we're sitting there, we're wondering what's going to happen. Is he going to call us out? He didn't. The man turned around after this conversation for about two minutes, and the man went back to his car and drove away. And I thought, wow, that's good. But now I've got to face the wrath of my father. So he comes up, and my father's standing opposite us like this. And I know he's going to say something, but he just pauses for effect. We are horrified. We're terrified. What's going to happen? And it was probably like those moments when Jesus, remember that the Pharisees brought the adulterous woman to Jesus? Remember that? She was caught in the act of adultery and the Pharisees brought this adulterous woman and said, the law says stone her. We caught her in the very act of adultery. Jesus says, hey, he without sin cast the first stone and all of them eventually walked away because they knew that all failed and sinned. And then Jesus says to the young lady, he was caught in adultery, uh, where are your accusers? And she says, "Um, they're not here, Lord. And then Jesus lifts her up and says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin what? No more. It was like that moment. I'm sitting there in my dad. I'm sure he must have read that account in the Gospels. (laughs) I don't know. He probably didn't. But the reality is he says to us, it was like years later, I now recall this. He says to us, Don't do it again. And that's all he said. He didn't ground me. He didn't do anything. He could see on her face that we're horrified. And in that statement, he not only rebuked me, but he restored me. In that one statement, it was like, never do it again. We said, yes, Dad. I never did do it again. But the thing that I was so so thankful for is, is my dad stood on that driveway. He absorbed what I should have received. He absorbed the penalty for what I should have copped. He absorbed the anger, uh, the uh, upset gentleman. He took it all on my behalf. And I want you never to get used to understanding that principle, church. Because, you know, it's one of the things, it keeps us humble before God to realize that Jesus Christ took what we should have taken. My father absorbed the sin, and he comes to me, and he says... Don't do it again. I say, you're on. I'm not going to do it again, Dad. No way do I want to go through that. Um, and so I want us to say this, understand this morning. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he spoke it out so loudly. He was declaring the reality that he was the man who was going to be, do what no one else could ever do. And that's take our sin. Take our sin. We need a savior. We don't need a professional. I hope you can understand that. And when, and, you know... When God turned his back on Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, he was, he was showing humanity that how destructive and how horrific sin is. And so much so that God himself couldn't even look on the one that he loved, his only begotten son. He had to turn his back. That's how bad it is. May it inspire us today. To, when the temptation comes in life to say, nah, I'm not going to do that. It's just going to put another nail in the cross of Christ. I don't need to engage in that. I don't need to indulge in that. I'm just so thankful for a merciful God, aren't you? His mercies are new every morning. What a wonderful thing. I can come to him every morning. Because I, uh, I, you know, I collect. We all get a little dirty every day, don't we? We have to have a shower. Why not we have a spiritual clean out every day as well? Come before him. So there's one thing. Here's the second thing about why Christ declared on that cross and asked a question of his father to help us. Understand that God turned his back on him, so God would never have to turn his back on us. He'd never turn his back. You know, God is no intention of ever turning his back again on anyone, and certainly us. Um, Hebrews 13.5 says, uh, He himself said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. There's numerous verses that declare God's commitment to you and me today. His commitment. And here's the interesting thing. People in Old Testament times, that's the first part of the Bible, the first kind of half of the Bible, always located God to a certain situation or a certain point, geographical situation. If you think about it, when they were in the the children of Israel or in the wilderness, where was God? He was up on the mountain. That's when Moses got the Ten Commandments. They located him on a mountain and he was. And then when they traveled through the desert, they built this tent called the Tabernacle, and they used to pull it down and put it up, and Jesus would dwell there in the in the tent, in the in the tent of meeting with Moses and Joshua. They located God there. You know, they lo- and then, of course, they located God in the pillar of fire and the pillar and the cloud by day, and the fire by night. God, that was that was where God was. And eventually, when they settled in Jerusalem, they built a temple and they located God in the holy of holies. So the Old Testament people were used to locating God. Can I say this? The Old Testament continually points us to the New Testament of truth. We need the Old Testament, but sometimes the Old Testament perspectives, we've got to put aside to grasp the New Testament principles that are taking. It's not that you put away the Old Testament. I'm just saying the perspectives. And one of the old perspectives is, well, God's located here. That's all God will only be here. God will only be here. He'll be here, but not here. You know, God is now everywhere through the presence of the Holy Spirit, isn't he? His presence, the Holy of Holies is right here in your life through His presence. And we've got to be careful sometimes that we don't locate God in an experience. Well, when I had, I had that experience when I was younger, and when I feel that experience again, that's when God is there. But otherwise, He's not there. Folks, that is a lie and rubbish. God is always everywhere. Don't locate into a feeling or an experience. Don't locate God to a song. Oh, when we sing that song, that's when God moves the most. Now, he may, and I understand that, and I have songs that I think, oh, that's a good song. But folks, it doesn't. God is in every opportunity you have to worship him. And it's not a song. It's in the heart of man that we need to realize comes the true song of our spirit, isn't it? So we can locate him sometimes. We can locate him to a place Oh, I remember that camp where God fell at the altar. Well, why can't God fall on you again at the side of your bed in your bedroom? God's presence is not not restricted to our geographical situation. So we've got to understand it's God's presence. He says, I'm there all the time. Um, He was with Paul in the jail. Whoa! He was with um, Jonah in the whale. That rhymes. (laughs) Is there a third one? You know... We've got to understand. And you see, God is with Jesus even on the cross in the trial. And we're, and we're really talking about God's presence, aren't we? And he's not, God is not in and out of our lives because we do something or we don't do something. He doesn't all of a sudden you know, leave us because our sin registers a little bit too high on that day. And God needs to kind of part ways with her, us. You know, the truth is that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And the truth is, is that it's not that God leaves us as we leave God. We walk away from Him, don't we? We, we? we walk away from His presence. And it's not a matter of God being here and, and not being there, you know, or being here and not being there. But it's, the fact is that sometimes it's us not being there, not allowing it. And often in the trials and the struggles of life, we can think, well, God's not here with me today. I'm facing this thing today. I want it. And it feels that way, and I understand that. And it feels like God's a million miles, but he is just a, he is just a breath away. He's right there. He's just, a, he's just a, an act of humility away. He's just a prayer of humility. He's, just, he's right there. He says, I draw, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I'll make big steps towards you. God's always there. And even in Jesus' most crucial moment of life, did you notice what Jesus said in this question? He says, My God, my God. He wasn't, Jesus never rejected, even though God for a moment had to turn his back on his son because of sin, Jesus never, never, ever didn't think that he was still his God. He could have said, Hey, you up there, why have you left me? No, and he said, My God, my God. Can you see the difference? Can you see that Jesus still understood in the most trialing moment, in the most horrific time of his life, he still declared, even though he was asking God the question, why have you left me? He was saying, hey, my God, my God. Is is, is God your God in the midst of the trial? Or is he, where are you, God? See, Jesus emphasized his trust and his passion at the very moment when he says, my God, my God. Some commentators actually, some Bible commentators say, it was equivalent to saying, my strength, my strength. Why have you forsaken me? God was still there. Jesus was still declaring. It's not someone else's God. He's still my Heavenly Father. He's still my Heavenly Father. Um, he's still declaring God as his strength. Thus proclaiming to us that if his trial of death will not make him reject God. Why should our trial make God untrustable? Why should our struggle make God untrustable? Um, We need to see. You know, there was a man called Job who identifies with Jesus. Um, uh, Job was a person who lost everything. He lost his cattle, he lost his sheep, he lost his land, he lost his property, he lost his buildings and if that wasn't enough he lost his children, all that were killed and if that wasn't enough he even sat with sores and boils all over him and you know what he says, he says in, in Job chapter 13 verse 15 he says, though you slay me God yet will I what? Trust you, yet will I trust you. I love that about, about Job though I don't understand it but I will trust you. Have you got a Though I don't understand it, I'll trust you mentality. Have you got that mentality that says, you oh, know, I'll trust you, God? And, you know, as, as, do we cling to the rock of our soul or, and trust him in the midst of trial? Or do we stand on the sand of indifference and wander in and out of his presence? Only bothering to embrace him in the good times and thinking, well, he's not really there when I'm in the bad times. He's there in every moment. He's there in every moment. And I want to say, how do we see God? You know, that's why the body of Christ is so vibrant, so important. Because often in the body of Christ, when we need love and help and support, we see God with skin on. We see each other, the hand extended, uh, the mouth, the, you know, the, uh, the love or the smile. And uh, it's God, even through other people. Now, if there was a third point, this whole message, I'd, I'd share with you a story. And the point is that Jesus obviously felt some element of rejection from his Father. Even though he knew it was only just for a moment, it was only for a time that God had to turn his back. Jesus understood loneliness and rejection. You can appreciate the people that had sang the praises of Jesus on Palm Sunday. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem, were some of the same people who hung him, who were there yelling abuse at him on the cross. That's rejection, isn't it? The same disciples who had kind of stuck with Jesus for three years, many of them responded by running away. That's rejection and loneliness. And now God himself, it seems like, has turned his back on him. He knew loneliness and rejection, didn't he? Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected. Maybe you're here today and you know what that feels like. You feel that times of loneliness, that times even rejected. I want to tell you, God, never will leave us nor forsake us. And you say, "Well, oh, that's easy to say, but I want to tell you, I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we may know that we would never have to be forsaken. We would never have to go through what Jesus went through. There was a, a, a gentleman lived in our church many, many, many years ago. Not lived in the church. He came to this church. And um, he lived by himself and... Uh, he never married, but he died, um, like in late fifties, early sixties. Too young, he died too young, and he died by himself in his home, in his bed. And uh, Pastor Malcolm and I knew him, and Pastor Malcolm to visit him. I used to visit him. He used to come to this church, and and some of us would remember him and and remember how he used to be a little confused in his thoughts, and and it just you know he, he and I'd go and sit in his little unit with him, and. Um, and he'd be confused and he'd be doing stuff that was just confusing. And, and, and his mind wasn't healthy and well. But he came to church here and he learned to know the love of God. But that's why he came, because people here loved him and cared for him and went and visited him and helped him. And, and there were some of us who went to his funeral. But I think, Pastor Malcolm, you took the funeral. And, um, and I was there. But you know what? I always sought to love and support this man because... Many, many years, even before he died, he told me his story and his story went like this. At the age of four, he didn't have a dad or he didn't know his dad. His mum took him to an orphanage in Brisbane and said to him, you know what, you stay here with these lovely ladies and I'll be back to get you. And so he was happy, he had a great time with these lovely, it was an orphanage, but he waited for his mother that night and his mother didn't turn up. The next day, he waited again, and, and he didn't, his mother didn't turn up. The weeks went past, and the months went past. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And the years went past, and he waited. And he grew up in this orphanage, and eventually, he was like 16 or 17, and he just served in the orphanage. He didn't know anything else in life except this orphanage from the age of four. No mother ever came. Now, maybe she intended to. So let's not judge her. Maybe something happened that was beyond her control. But this man grew up and then, eventually, went out into the world. I first met him at the power station here in Glasnevin sec- uh, as a security guard, and then he and then he came to know Christ and he came to church here. And then he died, um, a, you know, by himself at his home. They found him in his bed, passed away. But I want to. I'm thankful for a God that took took a very lonely man. And in those last years, at least he knew something of the love of God. Something of God's love. And you know, heaven was a promotion for him, I tell you. It was a great place. Because of the hurt and the pain of not knowing what had happened with his family and his mother. And never, and while having a mother who had promised, but never actually fulfilled that promise must have been such a pain in his heart. But somewhat God filled that and encouraged him. And that's why he fellowshiped and that's why he reached out and that's why he sang praises to God. And I I just want to encourage us that Jesus was rejected so we would never be rejected. Amen? He was hung on a cross so that we would never have to do that. He was forsaken so we would never be forsaken. And he'd done something that no one else could ever do and that is he took our sin. Could we stand this morning... As we close, I just, want to, uh, I just want to pray in a moment for us. And, you know, maybe you're here today and the reality is, is that you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to say yes to Christ. You need to say yes for the very first time because uh, you've been thinking about it or maybe you're here this morning because you're wondering or you're, you've been contemplating it. But you know, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe our heart, the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose for us, we shall be saved. And some of us need to take that step and commit our lives to Christ. Say yes to Christ. Uh, maybe for some of us today, it's, we need to do it again because we just realized that we've walked away. We have we've just need to come back and, and, and restore that Well, today I want to ask you, just raise your hand today. I'll see that hand. You can put it down. And I'll just say, behind that hand, you're saying, yeah, count me. And I just want to pray. I'll pray with you. And we can pray together. But where you are today, is anybody here today who just needs to say yes to Christ? It's the most wonderful thing. Thank you. Is there anybody else today? You can put your hand down. Anybody else today? I see that hand. Thank you. Any other hands this morning? Any other hands this morning? Any other hands? Just for a second. Hold it up long enough for me to see it, and then you can put it down. Okay. Well, you know, for the sake of one church, can we pray? Let's do that, hey? And for my one brother who just put his hands up, how will we pray that prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ and do it together? And if you repeat um, together, that would be great so we can make it personal. I pray it every time someone does this. I think, God, I just... It's not that I'm not sure of my salvation. I just think, God, I humbly bow my heart before you and I want to make it right with you all the time. So let's pray for the sake of our one brother. Okay, Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you what you did for me through Jesus Christ. I thank you that he hung on a cross, he took my sin, and then he rose from the dead to defeat sin. So right now, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God, that you have forgiven me for my sin through Jesus Christ and I receive salvation from hell, save for heaven, right now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord your love and your mercy towards me. Amen. Father, I pray, Father, for my one brother, I pray you'll strengthen and continue to. And Father, just infuse him with that understanding of your incredible power and love for him as he's responded today. And we rejoice, as angels do today, over one person who responds. Even if it's again, we thank you today. Father, in the name of Jesus. So we're going to just sing this song right now. And I want you to contemplate this morning, is there, is there something I just need to yield to God and say, Father, I, I, I put aside that which sometimes I've tried to reflect or try to bury, and I give it to you today. In this moment of worship, I, I yield up that, I, I locate my sin with you today, and I give it to you and ask for your forgiveness. Or maybe today you need to just uh, realize that he hasn't forsaken you, and you sometimes locate God in a certain thing. God just needs to be realize that He's everywhere and right with you. So let's just worship for a moment today. One more song before we close, and I want to just pray where you guys are today. Let's sing. Thank you, team.